Certainly our 11th year has been the strangest. Am I right? 2020, the 11th year in the life of our church has been the strangest year. It's been strange for church. It's been strange for school. It's been strange for business. It's been strange for family get-togethers. It's been a strange for sports. Now, the only thing that has been normal in all of this relates to sports. The Toronto Maple Leafs let us down again in the playoffs. That's the only thing that has been a constant. It's nice to know that in these chaotic times, there's some things that you can really rely on, and that's that the Leafs just sim- simply can't uh, get through uh, the second round. So our only hope right now are the Toronto Blue Jays. The Toronto Blue Jays are actually a playoff team, which is quite remarkable considering how young they are. And it's been interesting to see how the different sports have managed different ways of handling the COVID-19 pandemic. You have bubble environments, you have empty stadiums. But baseball introduced something unique right from the get-go when they started their season. Have you seen the cardboard cutouts uh, in the stands? You can pay to have a cardboard cutout of yourself put in the stands. And so a Blue Jay fan living in Toronto could pay $60 to get a cardboard cutout of themselves in Buffalo uh, to watch uh, the Blue Jays play baseball. Now, I'm afraid that some of us have a cardboard cutout mentality when it comes to the Christian life that even some of the people who are sitting here right now, you just sort of consider yourself like a cardboard cutout. If you were here or if you weren't here, if you were a part of this church or not part of this church, the game would go on. And that you're just sort of a passive spectator. And whether you're watching from home or decide to come to the church building and you're, everyone's a part, I'm afraid that too many of us have a cardboard cutout theology when it comes to the church. I think that this is a result of an underemphasis in the evangelical church at large, and particularly our church in the last 11 years, as I'm still growing and learning as I study God's Word. I think that there has not been enough emphasis on what the, what the Bible calls membership. Membership. Membership is how we go against this cardboard cutout approach to the Christian life. So the title for today's message is The Meaning of Membership. I'm going to take you to two familiar passages. The first one was already read to us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we get going, we need to understand what we're up against. Because culturally speaking, there's a lot, there's a lot just in the oxygen that we're breathing that goes against this concept of membership. One is that we live in a world that is hyper-individualized. And we see this uh, happening in, in all aspects, whether it, be, whether it be education or whether it be business or, or, or economics, whatever it may be, we are a hyper-individualized. We, we don't think as a culture in terms of belonging. We, we simply just think of how can I express my individualism? How can I assert my individualism? And the group, the society, others around us are sort of pictured in, in the narrative that our, that our world is, is teaching is that it's the group, that's the problem. The group is suppressing the expression of the individualism. So the group is kind of the enemy. That's the way our culture is set up. We also live in a culture that is super suspicious about institutions. 
Watergate, the Vietnam War, uh, a, a number of other things happening south of the border, a bunch of things happening. The list could go on in terms of scandals in the Canadian government, churches, businesses, schemes, cover-ups, all of these. So we, we live in this world where we're kind of a little bit suspicious about joining an organization or going along with what leaders are saying. That's another part of the, that's the oxygen that we're breathing right now. And then lastly, we are a culture that is absolutely terrified of commitment. Absolutely terrified of commitment. The young single women are saying, amen, preach, right? This whole idea of, well, I don't want to sort of do, sign on the dotted line. I don't want to commit because what if something else uh, comes along and I, I'm a little bit afraid, I'm not sure. We live in this world that is terrified of commitment. So this is what we're up against as a culture. Now we also, also need to get clarity on a definition because uh, the title for the message is The Meaning of Membership, because we use the word membership in our culture all the time, but it, when we say membership, we don't mean what the Bible says when we say membership. We talk about a Costco membership, so that we can walk all around in those huge carts, right, and buy 14 kilogram packages of, of roasted almonds, and, and, and that's, 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 this isn't membership. If the person in front of you at line at Costco can't afford to pay, you're not somehow obligated or responsible to help that person as a member. No, that's not how it works. We have CAA memberships. So that when you're driving down the 401 and you blow a tire, you can call someone and then you have this immediate assistance. That doesn't mean that if, you see, if you're a CAA member, you see someone else with a little decal on their bumper sticker that you're supposed to pull over to help them. No, you're just paying for... A service. The, most, the, the, the clearest picture of our, of our culture right now is the gym membership. This is where the individualism and the fear of commitment, it all comes together, right? You get the first month or so free, fear of commitment. And you're there, you're not there to help anyone else. You, you don't even wipe down the machines for the other poor people. You are just there because you want to get fit. That's a gym membership. But listen, church membership is not like the Costco. It's not like CAA. It's not like the gym. So we need to get clear on what does membership mean mean. Being a member of a church doesn't mean you get perks and access to certain resources like Costco. It doesn't mean that you have some pastors or some leaders who are there to help bail you out just in case you need it like CAA. Church membership is not just something you sign up for so that you can be enriched and become spiritually healthy. No, church membership is something far deeper than that. So we're going to begin by answering the question, what does membership mean? What does membership mean? We find in 1 Corinthians 12 to 27, which Deborah read to us, the, the term member being used 11 times in 16 verses. Even in the ESV where sometimes the translators use the word parts, there's a footnote there. It's actually the same Greek word for member or membership. You see, membership fundamentally means that Christians belong to a body. Membership is about belonging, not just signing up for services, but being, being connected, being interdependent, being inseparable. There being unity, but diversity, belonging to 
a body. That's what membership means. Notice how in verse 13 he says, you were all baptized into one body. Last week we talked about how it begins with baptism. When the church was started in Acts chapter 2, we're going to get there soon, but when the, when the church was started, it started with 3,000 people getting baptized. Right here it's the same. Verse 13 says, for all of you were baptized into one body. You were baptized into one body. And then it gives a list of the people. He's speaking to the local Christians in Corinth. And when he says body, he's referring to a local church. They were baptized into membership in a local church as part of the body. Then he lists off Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. Now notice how the membership in the body breaks down the ethnic and socioeconomic barriers that would ordinarily separate human beings. Privilege is a word that's being used a lot in our, uh, our everyday discourse right now. And Paul here speaks to the issue of privilege by talking about Jews and Greeks. Now, politically speaking, and really socially speaking, Greeks or Roman people had privilege over Jewish people. The Jewish people, they were the ones who were being occupied. They were the ones who were kind of scattered all around there. They were the minority group. They had no privilege economically, socially, culturally, Politically, it was the Romans who had the privilege over the Jewish people. But loved ones, religiously speaking, the Jewish people were in the position of privilege. See, here's the thing about privilege. It's never static. It's always, it's always moving. Because the Jewish people had, had privilege when it came to the religious context because they had read the Old Testament before. They didn't have all these weird superstitions that the Roman Christians used to have and are trying to get rid of. They, they were brought up in a morally upright home. And so Paul here says it would, Jews, Jews had, had an advantage over Greeks in some ways. Greeks had an advantage over Jewish people in other ways. But he says you're all one. And remember it's baptism that levels the ground. Baptism is an act that's to be committed by outsiders in order to become insiders. And even though socially and politically the Greeks were insiders, they were considered outsiders. And even though the Jews were religiously considered insiders, they were outsiders and needed baptism to become insiders. Slave or free, these groups that would normally be separated from one another are brought together in one body. Every member matters. And then Paul here in this passage corrects and clarifies two misunderstandings of membership. I, I mentioned how our culture has some unique challenges when it comes to membership, but as we study this passage, we're going to see it's really nothing new. Notice what the feet and the ears say in verse 15 and 16. Do you see what they say? The feet says the same thing that the ears say. They both say, I do not belong. I do not belong. Paul is introducing this, this body metaphor to show that we all belong, that, that membership is a matter of belonging. Now, the feet and the ears are, are claiming insignificance. They're claiming, I'm a cardboard cutout. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm there. I'm kind of useless. I'm not as important as others. Now, the context in Corinth was the practice of spiritual gifts. Some people were, were saying that people who had certain spiritual gifts deserved certain privileges and were more important than other people. 
But Paul here is trying to emphasize the fact that because we're members, because we're part of the body, no one is insignificant. So whether you're watching today at home or in the facility, you're not the audience. You're the body. You're not watching church. You are the church. This is just one part of what church is that's happening right now. Church is not just an, an hour or 90 minutes in your living room or in the auditorium at 7755 10th line. That's not church. We are church. We're not, we're not customers or clients. We are collaborators and contributors. We all have an important role to play and a responsibility to play. Then look at what the eyes and the head say in verse 21. They say the same thing. They say, I have no need of you. The eyes of the head say, you know what, there are other members, but you might as well be cardboard cutouts. We're the ones doing all the work. We're the important ones. We're the ones who matter. We're the gifted ones. We're the influential ones. And this, this isn't the, the, the problem of insignificance, which is the, that's the issue that the feet and the ears have. No, this is the issue of self-sufficiency. So you've got insignificance and then self-sufficiency. On the other hand, that's the other danger of membership. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. A beautiful pair of eyes, you take one of those eyes, remove it from the context of a face and a body, and it's gross. And it can't do anything. What's it going to do? Roll around? Roll over to the grocery store? It needs to be in the context of the body. Now, I know I've said this before, but I, the, oftentimes the first thing people notice about me when they first meet me are the size of my biceps. I just, it's just sort of an inescapable thing. It's kind of distracting for others. It's, it's somewhat intimidating. I have to sort of explain but as impressive as a bicep can be, as powerful as a bicep can be, if you remove it from the context of an elbow and a shoulder, if you remove it from the context of skin and the rest of the body and the brain that's sending messages for that bicep to do, the bicep is weak and powerless. No part of the body can look at the rest of the body and say, I have no need of you. See, these are the two heresies of membership. You've got the feet and the ears, they're one group of heretics, and you've got the eyes and the head. The one group says, I don't belong. The other group says, I have, go ahead, I, don't, I have no need of you. We need, we need to be done with formaldehyde Christianity. Body parts in isolation. Listen, when you, when you dismember a member of the body, it's that other member is going to die, and the rest of the body is going to suffer. It's unhealthy, it's painful, it's deadly. But look in verse 18 and look in verse 24, how we have two but God statements. Verse 18 says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body. In the middle of verse 24, it says, but God has so composed the body you see, the feet and the ears, the eyes and the, and the head, they have the things that they want to say. They, I, I, th I don't belong. I have no need of you. And then Paul says, but God arranged the body. God composed the body. The same God who designed our physical bodies with all of the intricacies and complexities and beauty that same God also designed the church for all of us to belong and to matter, 
and to serve. All of us have a responsibility and a role to play. And this is what God wants to see happen. Look at verse 25. It says that there may be no division. You can't have a body that's divided. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members, notice this, may have the same care for one another. That when a Jewish Christian finds out that something has gone wrong with the Greek Christian, the Jewish Christian would act in the same way that if they had found out the same news about a Jewish Christian. That those barriers that separate us would be broken down. That everyone would get the same care. That the person who is a slave finds out that one of the people that's free is suffering from an illness or come on economic hardship. The slave isn't saying, oh, I wish I had economics to begin with, that I could have a hardship, but I'm a slave, so I'm not going to show compassion to you, no. Casting aside all of those divisions so that everyone gets the same care. Then it says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, we, we suffer together. We rejoice together. We overcome barriers together. I, I think about the way that our church family has been caring for different members as they've been sick or ill. I think about Olivia Wallace. I think about how uh, Jem and Adrian Persaud, leading her small group, together with all of those other members of that group, I've been caring for her in the midst of suffering. I think about Pastor Chris helping, helping counsel her through her suffering. And then I also, so we suffer with those who suffer, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. She had a birthday, a 27th birthday the other day. So members of our church arranged this drive-by birthday party for her. We, we suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We belong to one another. We need one another. Every member matters. We care for one another. See, this is far deeper than what we think of when we use the word This is not Costco. This is not CAA. This is not the gym. This is the body of When we talk about membership, we're talking about the body of Christ. So that's what membership means. Let's go to the second point now. How does membership work? And turn with me to Acts chapter 2. All throughout this series, I'm sure you're probably already tired of me saying, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, uh, and it's not over. We're probably going to be in Acts chapter 2, at least at some point, at every message in this series, just because it gives us such a clear picture of what the church is supposed to be and how the church works. So how does membership work? work. Let me read the passage. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now the word membership is not used in this passage, but the concept of membership is so clear. They had all things in common. All who received the word were together. This is the church acting like 
the body. So we're going to break this, this question up. How does membership work? We're going to break it up into two. Here's the first part, becoming a member. How does someone become a member? Well, here's the first day of church ever, uh, the day of Pentecost. And how did they become members on that first day? Verse 41, those who received his word and were baptized. And they were added that day, sorry, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what do we see? They received Peter's word. What was Peter's word? Believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. That's the rock on which the church is built, that Jesus is the Christ. So they received his word that Jesus is the Messiah, and they, they symbolized that belief by being baptized. So membership begins with belief and baptism. All believers are baptized. And loved ones, all believers in the New Testament were baptized into a local church family. Those who received his word were baptized. Now, again, often when we talk about baptism, and I know I have emphasized this point a number of times over the last 11 years, that when we talk about baptism, someone is making a personal declaration. They get into the tank or they go down into the river and they make a personal, dec- a personal public declaration that Jesus is Lord. And that is 100% true. But what we don't often emphasize, and which I, I know I haven't emphasized, is that when that person is being baptized, they are making a declaration, loved ones, but the church is making a declaration too. The body of believers, the, the Christian that is baptizing that new believer is making a statement. They are saying... We believe that you believe. And, and we, are, we are baptizing you right now because of that. That the, the church has a responsibility in welcoming these new members. The baptizee is saying, I believe in Jesus. God is my Father. That means these are my brothers and sisters. And the brothers and sisters then say, God is our Father. And based on the fact that you believe in Him, we are now all brothers and sisters. They were added to their number. They knew who they were. They knew who was in and who was out. There was more than 3,000 people there on Pentecost, but only 3,000 were added. Only 3,000 were baptized. So that is how you become a member according to the New Testament. And then the second part is being a member. Being a member. Look at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves. And there's going to be a whole big list here. That word devoted, it's actually a shipping term. It's a, it's a boat that is all ready. The crew is there, the ropes and the lifeboats and the other boaty kind of things. It's all there. And it's tied off at the pier. And it's just waiting for the passengers to get on board. And the, the, the boat is devoted The boat is ready. It can also be used to describe a team of servants who are standing by and ready, just waiting for the master to say what needs to be done. And so when we're looking at this list here now of what they were devoted to, we need to understand that the Christian needs to be fully loaded, ready to go. That when they're getting baptized, they need to be ready. I'm ready to do whatever is needed. I am ready to serve the body. I am spring-loaded. I am down on the starting block waiting for the gun to go. I am devoted. I am ready to go. 
And so what do they devote themselves to? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, this is the original 11 disciples plus one. Apostle means sent one. These were the guys who were trained by Jesus for three years. These were the guys who witnessed his resurrection. These were the guys who received the commission in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus commissioned them to go. They're the apostles, the ones who are supposed to go. They're the sent ones. And what are they supposed to do? So he says, go, that's the first command. Make disciples, that's the main command. Then he says, baptizing them. So they got that done in Acts 2.41. But then also, teaching them. The apostles were supposed to preach the gospel, get people baptized, but then also teach them. And that's what's happening here. The apostles were doing the teaching. Now jump down to verse 43. Verse 43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, the teaching of the apostles was being verified by these signs and wonders. God was drawing attention to the teaching of the apostles because they were the ones who had been entrusted to get this message to the ends of the earth. Notice that the, the signs were being done through the apostles, not by the apostles. They were the tools. They weren't the source. They are, there aren't apostles like this anymore. The, the, these apostles served a one-time purpose to take the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the truth that Jesus is the Christ and to spread that to the ends of the earth and to baptize and to teach. So there aren't apostles like this anymore. But there, we do have the apostles' teaching in the New Testament. And if we're going to understand the apostles' teaching in the New Testament, we better understand the teaching of the Old Testament and how it all fits together. So as a church member, we must be devoted to the teaching of God's Word. We must commit to learning the Bible. That when we're at church, we're leaning forward, pen in hand, ready to, to learn, ready to hear from God, that in our own personal devotions and when we gather together as a small group, that we are coming together. So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. Verse 42, koinonia is the word there. This is closely associated with this, the concept of membership, and partnership, sharing belonging together. It involves mutual care and concern. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that we would have the same care for one another. Fellowship is not just hanging out. Fellowship is not sunny delight in peak freens in the foyer. I wish we could meet in the foyer. I wish we could serve peak, I wish we could serve anything. I'll, I'll take peak freens and sunny delight right now. But this is all about having a common purpose. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 12, I talk about Jews and Greeks and how, how, how there was a fair bit of division there that was overcome by the reality of the gospel. Look in Acts 2, at Acts 2, verse 9. This is when they first start speaking in the other languages, and then there's a, there's a list of all of the different people that are there. Look at the list in Acts 2, verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of, of Mesopotamia. That's the... That's the Middle East. Judea and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia. That's Eastern Europe. Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. That's Africa. 
and visitors from Rome, notice this, both Jews and proselytes. Remember how I mentioned how baptism is something that was always intended for outsiders to become insiders? When someone who was not ethnically Jewish but wanted to become religiously Jewish, they had to go through baptism, and they were called proselytes. So here we have a mixed multitude, a group of people from all over the world, Africa, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and they're not all ethnically Jewish. And they were devoted to the fellowship. You see, we need to be clear. Sometimes we have this sort of like airy-fairy, kumbaya understanding of what Acts 2 was like. To be devoted to something means you're willing to work for it and fight for it. When, when, when it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, now I understand it all. No, it was week after week, day after day, get out the scrolls. i got to ask a question. I'm trying to wrestle with this. How does this fit together with this? To be devoted to the teaching, you got to work at it. You don't just learn by accident. But loved ones, it's the same with fellowship. we got to work at it. We come from all different backgrounds. We hear different things in our culture or in the news. Different events take place. It all affects us differently. Just because someone else is affected by news in a different way than you are doesn't mean that they're right or that you're right or that they're wrong or that you're wrong. It just means that you have to work to understand one another. we got to be devoted to the fellowship. It takes work. It takes asking questions. Loved ones, I don't know how many times I have had to say, I'm sorry I did not mean to offend you to a different person in our church family. Some of it, we're, we're, too, we're so afraid we're going to offend people, we don't say anything, we don't, appro- we, don't, we don't approach anyone. But to have the humility to try to learn and to recognize when mistakes are made, because like the smallest little gesture or, or, it's, or suggestion or comment or question based on our culture or our upbringing, we need to be growing in our understanding to work at the fellowship. Verse 42, they also had to work at the breaking of bread. If you didn't think communion was hard work, read 1 Corinthians 11. They had to work at it. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy subject to talk about. It's not an easy practice for a church to participate in to get it right, but we got to work at it. We got to be devoted to it. They devoted themselves to remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what binds Christians together. Jesus gave us two ordinances, baptism, which is entrance into membership, and then communion or the Lord's Supper, which is the sort of regular renewal of our commitment to the Lord and to one another. Next week, Pastor Chris is going to be speaking about this important ordinance and what it means for the church. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the prayers. They prayed for one another, with one another. Verse 44, and all who believed, look at this, all who believed were together. Again, the word membership isn't mentioned here, but the concept is so present. They were together. They were together. They had all things in common. They're selling things, their possessions, their belongings, they're distributing. They're, they're generous. There's a sense of giving. 
Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes. Notice there's two locations. There was one sort of large gathering where the apostles are there. They're teaching in the temple courts. That didn't last long, but it would have been sweet. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was in the large groups at the temple. And then home to home, gathering in smaller groups. That's how we try to structure our discipleship at our church. One big event and then multiple small events. Then it says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Loved ones, if you are not yet a church member, I don't want to say that you know you need to sign up just because of perks, but the members of this church have potlucks that are off the chain, okay? And actually the week before the whole shutdown came, we had, do you remember that? We had a potluck. It was like a week before all of this happened, and, and Deb uh, Springer and the whole welcome team went through, like changed the way that we did it because we knew that there were some concerns over this, this virus, and they, they, no one caught the virus from that, uh, from that um, amazing potluck, and our awesome welcome team has a, a, a big, or had a big role to play uh, in that. So they received their Food. You know, it's interesting. Luke, I think, was a bit of a foodie or always hungry. If you read the book of Acts, he's always talking about, he already mentioned the breaking of bread, and now he's saying they receive their, receive their, their food with glad and generous hearts. Luke's always talking about food, always thinking about food. I think it's almost lunch. I'm going to wrap up in a few minutes here. And then praising God and having favor with all the people. They were a singing people. They were a singing people people. They worship. They praise God. I'm so thankful. I can't wait till we can have our worship team here in person, but I'm so thankful to the work they're putting into putting these videos together so that we can be a singing people. And then it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. How were they added to their number? Well, we, we know. We know how they were added to their number because verse 41 tells us. Verse 41, they were, they, people who believe and who are baptized are added to the number. So if you want to think about how membership works in a church, you've got becoming a member and being a member. Becoming a member is a short list. Belief in Jesus, baptism in water. Being a member, that's what you've got to be devoted to, spring-loaded for. That's, that's a little bit more involved. Devoted to the Bible, prayer, communion, fellowship, gathering, giving, hospitality, singing. I mean, all of these are a sermon in and of themselves. So that's how it worked in the early church. How does it work in our church? Again, it's important for us to make sure that we have, you know, one foot into ancient Palestine, and we're living in that world. We're understanding that culture, but we also got to have another foot in our culture, in our world. And this is what, this is good biblical interpretation. Okay, is it lunchtime yet? Okay, I'm just going to stand up straight. But anyway, that's why we got to have, this is what good hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, application is, is that you got one foot in the world of the Bible and one foot in the world that we are living in today. So there are some differences between Acts chapter 2 and September 27th, 2020 in Mississauga. The first difference is this, regardless of what you think uh, theologically in terms of uh, um, a premillennialism and the role of the church in Israel, all of that. It, what's going on in Acts chapter 2 is we have the universal church and the local church are in the same place at the same time. 
The universal church is every believer in Jesus from all times and all places. They were all there. It all got started. You had 120. You added 3,000. Universal church, local church in the same place. It's the same thing. Not so today. Thousands of years have gone by. So many members of the universal church have gone to be with the Lord. And the gospel has spread from coast to coast and region to region to the ends of the earth. And so the universal church is not all in the same place. Also, there were no denominations. There were no disagreements about what the apostles' teaching is. Because if you wanted to know what the apostles' teaching is, you just walked up to an apostle and said, what's the teaching? We don't have that anymore. So now we have denominations. And so now we have, for better or for worse... Other believers who believe 99% of the same things we do, worshiping right down the road from us right now. And that's different. And we also have people who call themselves churches who don't believe 99% of what we believe and believe negative 20% of what we believe. It's just the world that we live in. That didn't exist in Acts chapter 2. Also, think about this. Jesus had just been murdered publicly less than two months earlier. And all of these people at this time are signing up to follow him. There was no cultural Christianity, you know, my grandfather was a Christian and I have my big fat Bible and I... There was no showmanship. There was no cultural benefit to becoming a Christian. When these people were going into the water, they knew that this may be their last day. They knew that imprisonment and persecution and ostracization was coming their way. We don't have that today. We, we have all kinds of false professions, false conversions. So our world is very different. I mean, it would be great if we could just move from becoming to being just seamlessly. But here's, how, here's what we do in light of those differences, in light of the gap between first century Palestine and the world that we're living in, we put something in the middle. Again, the thing we put in the middle is not in the Bible. This is what the Bible says, but in order to clarify that these things are true, we put this in the middle. A class, a conversation, and a commitment. A class, a conversation, and a commitment. The class, we call it the first step course. This is just us as a church to let the Christian know what we believe. Because there's churches all over the place, and some believe the same as we do. Other, many don't believe what we, what we do. And so we just want to clarify. So we have a course to make sure if you're signing up to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, here's the kind of teaching we're going to give you. We don't want you going in blind. Then we have a conversation. The class is so that the Christian can understand the church, the conversation is so that the church can make sure that this person actually is a Christian. The conversation can be really, really short. It takes place with an elder and another leader in our church. Many of you have been involved in participating in these, uh, in these interviews or these conversations. It could be as simple as, like, are you a believer and are you baptized? Like, it could be that quick. And do you have any questions about our church, about what you're, what you're signing up to be devoted to? And then we, we go through a document, we go through a list, and that's the commitment and we, we have people sign to say, that, that I understand what Hope Church is about. I understand what all of this involves. Now, wh why do we have this? Well, again, think about the day in which we live. We could say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? 
Someone could say, oh, I think Jesus is great. Now, they could be a Mormon. They could be a Jehovah's Witness. They could be a Muslim. All three of those think that Jesus is great. None of them could be members of our church. So we have to have a clarifying conversation. There, there, there were no Muslims in Acts chapter 2. There were no Mormons in Acts chapter 2. There were no Jehovah's Witnesses in Acts chapter 2. But this is the world in which we are living. So we have this conversation. And then we have a, a commitment. We, the goal is so that the, the Christian and the church can come to a mutual understanding to clarify and confirm what is absolutely essential for biblical membership. And so, loved ones, we are not cardboard cutouts. You can't, you have cardboard cutout, you can just pick up and move to any place, or whether it's here or whether it's there, it makes no difference at all. But loved ones, if you were to take your hand and try to pick it up and move it apart from the body, that is a very different story. We are called to be members. We are called to be a family, a temple, a bride, and a body. We are called to be one, although we are many. If you are going to follow Jesus, if you are a member of the universal church, the Spirit will lead you to be, and it may not be this church, it may be another church that you, that you associate with and you're just visiting here today. This isn't just about Hope Church, this is about local church membership and what God has called us to do. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have not left us on our own to live the Christian life in isolation. But as 1 Corinthians 12 says, you have arranged and composed the body, Lord, so that we could be built up in love. God, help us to live out these truths. God, help us to enjoy body, life, and fellowship even, even right now as we head outside, Lord. God, we pray for your presence and your spirit to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.